You're listening to Ethereal Odyssey, the podcast that interviews viewers like you about their psychedelic experiences, proving once and for all how different yet similar we all can be. My next guest is my dear friend Scarlett. I met her at um, one of our previous jobs together. Um, Yeah, she's had quite an interesting life. She was born and raised in Florida as a pastor's kid, oldest of three. She has a younger brother and sister. um, And (laughs) I will say, don't ever get into a poker game with her because she will whoop your ass. Uh, She used to be a professional poker player in another life um and yeah she's very in tune with nature like really into hiking camping fishing and (laughs) watching pornography i guess oh and i'm supposed to not forget to mention um her majestic mullet that she's currently rocking it is what dreams are made of honestly um yeah i hope you enjoy our conversation um we go everywhere from talking about very small trips to big trips to you know porn to uh emotional trauma which can also be like a trigger for some people but if you don't mind talking about mental health um and complex ptsd um then i think you'll really enjoy this conversation i feel like i felt really fulfilled after having this conversation it's one of the longest ones that um i've recorded in a long time so i'm absolutely grateful to um to be able to have her on and i hope you enjoy okay so what did you know about psychedelics before you dove in um I wouldn't say I knew a whole lot, but I had read some trip experiences, uh, primarily dealing with um, magic mushrooms mainly, as that was sort of kind of the substance that I was planning on doing my first like big trip on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up being acid, just because that's what I had available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had also read a book called How to Change Your Mind by the author Michael Pollan. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so that book was probably my sort of primary source of kind of what to expect and how to approach the whole experience. Um, yeah, other than that, I had uh, upbringing as a pastor's kid. So most of what I knew about drugs was a lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of where we're at. Okay. What uh what brought you towards like those books in particular? Um really what brought me to psychedelics ultimately was just trying to work out my mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been in talk therapy off and on for years at this point, for at least a decade of my life. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't feel like it was I, like, I didn't feel like I was getting the most out of it that I could. Okay. Um, so I started looking into psychedelics as sort of a way to 
kind of connect with my mind and figure out, hey, what what's actually going on up here? Like, mm-hmm. what what needs to be worked on? Because mm-hmm. part of it is I felt like my mental health was at a part where, like, everything is broken. Where do I even start? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, yeah. when you walk into the kitchen and the dishes are dirty and there's no food in the refrigerator <laughs> and... You know, like everything in your house is a mess and you're like, I got to clean it up. I got guests coming over, but where do I start? Yeah. Just to preface this, I'm feeling a bit self-conscious because my dishes are not done, but I do have a food or a fridge full of food. I have cleaned up. So <laughs> that's like I mean, what I could do today. Your dishes aren't flowing out of the sink, so they're they're fine. Yeah. They're They're not the state of my kitchen currently. Yeah. I mean... It is what it is. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, so, like, what was what was your first psychedelic experience like? And how um, old were you? So, my first one, I was, I believe, 31. It wasn't very long ago. 30 or 31. Um, it was on acid. Uh, I was still taking an antidepressant at the time Mm -hmm. um it was very low dose and i was tapering myself off so i didn't have like a massive trip or anything like that but i was at my polycules house with jack and ophelia Mm -hmm. um and we decided to get together i took acid um and we listened to music we painted uh we had the green belt right across from their street so You know, if the mood struck me, I could go outside, go for a walk around nature and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had a little stuffed animal with me. I forgot to bring him today, but I take him with me on every trip that I have. It's a little rabbit. Yes. Okay. I have seen this. And he has, yeah, I've showed you the pictures before. He's got big old Mm -hmm. bug eyes. So I made him tweak. And um, I had him with me. And that's how whenever I'm on psychedelics or Mm kind of any drug, that's how I know that it's hitting me is because I will look at tweak and I will just get lost in his eyes and it's like oh we're both tripping right now aren't we um so yeah we we painted in the house we were listening to music and I remember I wasn't really feeling much I was like I don't really think I'm feeling anything and I looked over and across the room tweak was sitting up on a table and I just kind of looked into his eyes and all the spots on his body were kind of moving around and his <laughs> eyes were just kind of dilating. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling it. Yeah. So, yeah, they've become like your trip companion. Yes. Mm. That's funny. I like that. I feel like the things that I take with me on trips don't necessarily always mean... Like, I feel like they're always going to mean more to me than they actually do during the trip. Mm-hmm. And then the things I'm not expecting are the things that kind of hit me differently. I would agree with that. Yeah. On my experiences. Right. I would say the most consistent things would be, like, you know, like, wanting to draw eyes or, like, always having this sort of, like, obsession with, like, you know, you know, not being able to find my shoes or my sh- I puked in my shoes or just some form of like, like concern over my feet, even if there is really no concern, like I'm in grass or I'm in somebody's house, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then like, I think it's just more of like a metaphor of like being concerned that I'm, you know, uh, 
trying to wear shoes for other people or like what I think I should be doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You get lost in that. How, how should I be behaving right now? You know, and you, you, you kind of get, I don't know, start looking inward mm. and getting nervous. I've had that happen. Well, I think it's more like being, I don't know, in this state of, like, like intense fight or flight, but also at the same time, like, does it really matter? I don't know. I don't awesome. know if we're saying the same thing. Just either. relax. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, it's so funny, because, like, early, just earlier today, I was, like, microdosing, and, like, you know, uh, I was, like, just... I don't know, like, I lit some incense and just was watching it into the sunlight, like, the sunbeam that was, like, coming down on the flowers and the table and stuff. Yes. Like, and just, like, getting lost and watching the smoke in the, like, in the sunlight and feeling that, like, you know, that feeling of, like, aweness and connectedness, like, uh, it was nice. Yeah. And and then what did I do after that? I decided to get a shower and do a full face of makeup. And I was just, like, like overthinking, like, am I utilizing this time right? And <laughs> like, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've utilized my time on drugs in various ways. Mm-hmm. I think I forget that, like, yes, life is very fragile and delicate and stuff, but like we're we have so many decades left to like keep rolling we don't have to have all the answers right now and that's what i do we though stop it i know like (laughs) nuclear wars on the horizon like the climate things and uh yeah um i'm holding space for that i'm acknowledging that in a very real way but in order for me to get through each day I have to hold some sort of like delusional hope (laughs) for a long-term life (laughs) delusional hope it's the name of my next album I love that yeah carpet safaris and delusional hope yeah um so tell me about one of your more uh transformative experiences like most meaningful okay um so that one would have to be my third and most recent acid trip okay um so we'll go back to the second one just because a really funny notable thing happened during the second trip sure the second time i did acid i was playing some board games with friends things were going fine then we started playing balderdash which, for people who don't know, is a game where you have to try to make up a lie. And, like, someone will basically ask a question, and you have to come up with an answer that's a lie, but it sounds close enough to the truth that they'll pick your answer. Mm. And I remember coming up on that ass and, like, oh, I can't think of, like, any... Like, I can't lie right now. I physically cannot lie to people. <laughs> like, I just feel terrible even doing it, even for the game. Yeah. So I went back to my bedroom and was just kind of relaxing. Um, and I have, uh, I started playing some video games. Mm-hmm. 
And at one point in the video game, I was crawling through a cave full of spiders, you know, hacking and slashing at spiders, all that. They're a common fantasy enemy to fight. Well, I have pet tarantulas. And I don't quite remember, like, I was so zoned into this video game that I kind of looked over into the corner where my tarantulas were at, but I thought that I had left their enclosures open and they had, like, escaped and webbed up my entire room and were, like, getting ready to eat me. Um, and then when I looked closer, one of my tarantulas was actually caught, um, on the mesh lid of their enclosure, so they were just, like, hanging there by one leg, and I was like, oh, I gotta perform a rescue operation. Yeah. And I am high, as this thing looks weird to me. Sure. I mean, it looks weird when you're not high, but, Mm -hmm. so I reach my hand into this enclosure and have to, like, pick up my tarantula and very carefully wiggle its leg loose, and just the whole time I'm like... Please understand that I'm helping you, baby. Please do not bite me. Like, I love you. You know this. <laughs> like, my hand is not an enemy. Like, I'm trying to just oh. gently coax this spider that's kind of panicking yeah. back down into their little burrow where they ran in and hid for the rest of the night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the fun part about number two. Number three was my transformative experience. And that one, and we'll talk a bit more about it, you actually made a painting for me. I did, yes. Because that experience was literally mind-blowing. Um, and I know we had the, the preface at the beginning of this episode. I'm going to circle back to that and say that everything about this trip is what not to do. I did not have a trip sitter. I didn't even plan out this trip. There was no thought or concern about set and setting or even what am I trying to do with this trip? Mm. Uh, I had just received some kind of awful news a few days prior to that. Um, So the whole situation was I had been unemployed for a couple months, Mm -hmm. was still kind of looking for a job, but I was in such a mental health funk that I was struggling to even apply and go to interviews. Because it had been months at this point, I had done like several dozen interviews and nothing had stuck. Right. So I was like stuck in this, I'm like, like, funk. I was like, I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to lose my house. Mm. And then I'm going to be homeless. And I'm not going to find a job. And, like, everything's going to come crashing down. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Then I received news that, yep, my roommates wanted me out. Mm. I was still paying rent. But they just, they wanted me out. Mm. So that set me into a panic. Uh, I went on a three-day camping trip with Jack and Ophelia kind of felt like that helped me out a bit but then when I got home I was like this is gonna be my last weekend to like trip drugs before I'm I don't know where true like so I decided to go for it I was like I got some acid in the freezer I don't know what I'm gonna do tonight but I'm gonna do acid (laughs) so what I ended up doing was watching porn on acid Mm -hmm. for like I don't even want to admit it. Four and a half, maybe five hours straight. How did that feel? Like... The best physical experience I've ever had in my life. Really? Yes. Huh. So the other thing was, I was locked up in a chastity device, so... Okay, that's I couldn't, like, get myself to come, but I could get myself to the edge Mm. and hold myself there for five hours. No, that's interesting that, uh, that that's kind of like what you were drawn to do or feel or whatever because I feel like most of the times when I'm tripping 
I don't have, like, a sense of, like, sexuality. Not, like, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, I, I'm still aware that, like, I'm a girl and all of this stuff, but, like, I don't have much of, like, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm more, like, kid-like, and I'm more concerned with other things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, ex- I will say, except for, like, the very end of, like, a acid trip when I was like by myself on sunrise and shit like that and you know like being able to like get off in like a hammock or whatever Uh you know what i mean like yeah that's sunrise beautiful wasn't it yes Mm -hmm. it was great um honestly it wasn't that great though because like it took forever and i was just like part of the way i'm like is this even worth it (laughs) like i don't know does it not feel good during like, I'm well, at the point now where, where coming is, like, the worst part of it. It's like, mm, great, it's over now. Mm, Back to work. I don't know. I feel like uh, I've come to find, no pun intended, <laughs> that if if it's not, like, an active, like, meaningful experience, um, it kind of almost feels like the opposite. You don't fully get into it. Yeah. Like, mentally and all yeah, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it makes me feel more distant from, okay. like, myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I don't, I don't really see much of a point, you know? I don't know. Not that I'm, like, this nun. See, and that's thing. interesting, because anytime I'm on psychedelics, I get incredibly horny, mm-hmm. incredibly sexual. Mm-hmm. See, and I've heard the, the same thing with other people that, like, oh, my God, you have to, like, you have to try, like, fucking somebody while you're, uh, while you're tripping because you're just sort of, like, this, this, like, ecstasy of, like, being intermorphed with somebody else and then, and then you're just, like, fucking for hours. And I was, like, I get the purpose, (laughs) (laughs) but I think I'd rather, uh, explore other things in the trip that have a priority in my mind I guess sure I don't know if I'm saying that correctly but I'm gonna say it um, I mean it's your experience yeah so um I remember you telling me like this whole story about like what you thought was happening versus like what actually happened in the trip uh yeah so if you wouldn't mind uh going on with this story like this so here I am tripping in a house by myself sure no trip sitter, which was mistake number one. Um, so I was sitting in my room. Literally all the screens on my computer have some port- sort of porn on them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just... I'm having a good time, okay? I'm feeling really good. I'm enjoying myself. I'm like, this is what I needed out of this trip. I just needed to feel good. I've been sure. feeling bad for months. Yeah. Um, at some point, you know, obviously I lost track of time. So I don't know if this was earlier in the trip, later in the trip. I don't know for how long it lasted. At some point, though, I got intensely focused and a vision of a vagina appeared. Mm -hmm. And that's all I could see in my vision. Mm -hmm. Like, there was no more bedroom, no more computer, like, no more desk. I was just floating in front of this vagina. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I couldn't, like, take my focus off. That was the only thing I was concerned about. Yeah. 
and I had this overwhelming sense that I was actually, for the first time in my life, meeting God. Mm. Um, and I still feel that way, as if, like, this, this turned from a sexual experience to a religious experience. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of hard to describe, like, kind of the way that I felt was that I was just in God's presence and, like, I needed to worship. It's kind of my upbringing, kind of how the Bible goes, right? Sure. Uh, so here I am worshiping the goddess for who knows how long, and then I slowly start to, like, come back to reality, I guess, and, you know, this vision starts getting a little darker, a little duller, and I start, like, I'm able to kind of pry my eyes away and kind of look around and take in my surroundings. And I realize it's dark, which was, you know, I had all the lights off outside my computer monitors, but it's completely dark. There's trees out. There's a lake. On the other side, there's a bunch of houses. <laughs> and I realized I am standing naked on the railroad tracks behind my house. And I have walked about five or six houses down these railroad tracks. Oh like, I'm not gosh. directly behind my house anymore. Yeah. And I'm just kind of walking down the railroad tracks, staring at the sky, one hand on my crotch. <laughs> and I immediately realized, like, oh, this is a terrible situation. And thankfully, it is, like, midnight, roughly around there, because... That pond that was on the other side of the railroad tracks was actually a park that was very, very busy during the day. Mm. And then, of course, there's the neighborhood with houses on the other side of the railroad tracks. So it's like, oh, God, nobody saw me. I hope nobody saw me. I ran back to the house barefoot on railroad tracks. So my feet are all torn up. <laughs> I get back inside. Um, and that's kind of when the trip took a bad turn. Like, when oh, I say God. this was definitely a transformative trip, it was also both the greatest and worst trip of my life. Okay. I went to heaven, I met God, found myself on the railroad tracks, got back home, and just started, like, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I started worrying, like, somebody saw me, somebody called the cops, like, they're going to be at my door in, like, 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to have to try to explain to them what the fuck is going on. Like, nobody else around in the house to, like even help me with an interaction with real people. Mm -hmm. So I started to panic a lot. Um, and I remember calling my girlfriend, Ophelia at the time, um, and just telling her like, hey, I did a really dumb thing and I'm all by myself and I dropped acid. Um, and so I told her about everything that had gone on. Like, you know, hey, I just watched porn for five and a half hours. I think I might be a porn addict. And, uh, like, I met God, and I wound up naked on the railroad tracks, and now I'm worried about cops showing up. <laughs> Were you still tripping at this point? Oh, or? I was still tripping. Yeah, okay. Um, and I was still tripping, but I felt like, like, I wasn't coming down, and I wasn't on the come down, but I had, like, kind of hit this peak, and... You were not quite as was the it? Yeah, extreme like I, plateau? Yeah. Okay. Um, like, I was aware of my surroundings, I was aware I was high, but... I wasn't completely lost in any particular thing. Sure. Um, so, of course, my girlfriend's like, hey, you're fine. Everything's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You're a perfectly normal human. Just seeking out pleasure while you're on drugs. Mm -hmm. Just go to bed. 
you know, put some music on, go to sleep. And I was like, that's great advice. Wonderful advice. So I threw on a playlist, a turtle playlist. Uh, because the infamous Turtle Gonzalez. Yeah, Turtle has made me multiple playlists for the different drugs that I find myself on. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yeah, listen to this music when you're like tripping on Molly and it'll be great. Or this one's for acid. Or most of them are for cannabis. Um, but yeah, so I started listening to music. I laid down. I thought I went to bed. But it was shortly after that where I woke up, only I wasn't quite awake. I was having a vision, mm-hmm. and I was in a van. Hmm. And I looked down, and I kind of see the clothes that I'm wearing. I'm wearing a pair of swim trunks and a t-shirt. And I realized that this is sort of a moment in my life, a very traumatic moment that I went through. So it was a memory. Yeah. Okay. And, like, as soon as I realized the clothes that I was wearing and the van that I was in, I was like, I know exactly where I'm at. I know exactly what's going to happen. Um, Thankfully, you know, I I mentioned it earlier, I had read the book How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on top of all the sort of trip reports that I had read from other people on various online forums, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew that nobody dies on acid, like... I'm not going to die in this event this time. It's going to happen again. Um, And it did. So when I was nine, I was involved in a rollover accident uh, that ended up being deadly. One person died. Um, And I kind of relived that moment again where I came to in the van and I recognized the clothes that I was wearing. I recognized the van. Like, I recognized everything all the minor details of this event right and i was just like i know what's about to happen and i can't stop it yeah like and i started wondering to myself am i supposed to try to change it um because shortly before this accident somebody asked me to swap seats with them and i did that somebody died in the accident right next to me So, like, I started wondering, am I supposed to change the outcome this time? Like, am I supposed to do anything? Am I just supposed to live this again? Like, Mm -hmm. what's going on here? Right. Um, And then, of course, things happened. The rollover occurred. The van came to a stop. The scene was set just like it was back then, where my legs are trapped under the van. This person's trapped under the van near my legs. Um, And kind of that whole event played out again. And then it just kind of everything, I got surrounded by fire. And everything just kind of went up in flames. And one of the significant details of that trauma that I think I made a connection with on kind of a mental health crisis that I was dealing with Mm -hmm. was my father was the van driver. He was the youth pastor at this church. We were on a church event. He was the one driving the van this day that the accident took place. Um, the accident was not his fault, um, but shortly after the van rolled over, we came to a stop. There were nine people in the van. Only four could be counted inside the van when it came to a stop. Myself, two others, and my father. Mm -hmm. The two others got up, walked out. Dad got up. I tried to stand up. My legs were caught under the van. I remember asking my dad for help. 
and I distinctly remember my dad looking me in the eyes. I remember the panicked look on his face because he looked like he didn't know what just happened because, yeah, the whole thing unfolded very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then I remember him walking out of the van. Mm. And I kind of realized that, you know, as a youth pastor, he's he's got to run and get a head count on everybody. Sure. And, you know, when he looks, he only sees three other people. And he should have five more. So I kind of get why he did it, but... But he didn't explain that he was going to be back or anything yeah. like that. He just didn't... Yeah, eventually I freed myself and ran out of the van to find him. Um, and it's just one of those, like, that moment... Like, I had always talked about in talk therapy when trauma had been brought up that like yeah I was involved in this rollover accident somebody died like I swapped seats with them just before they died Mm -hmm. and I always thought that that was the weight that had been kind of hanging over me about the event Mm -hmm. but the real thing that weighs on my mind was that I felt like I had just been abandoned by the one person that's supposed to help me in that situation Mm -hmm. um and that was a very tough thing for me to deal with at the time. And it was an even tougher thing for me to deal with, oddly enough, an even more difficult experience to deal with on acid because, you know, after this whole thing played out, I relived that scene where I looked my dad in the eyes. He had that same panic look on his face and then he turns around and leaves to go get a head count on everybody else. The whole scene goes up in flames. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in hell. And I felt this massive sense of abandonment Mm. in that moment. Like, I had just lost connection with the goddess that I had been chasing down the railroad tracks. My dad just walked out on me. And I curled up on the floor and, like, scream cried for I don't know how long. Mm -hmm. And I'm shocked a neighbor didn't, like, wake up or call or anything like that because I feel like I was being pretty pretty noisy right um and yeah I curled up on the floor and cried and then I woke up several hours later the next morning wasn't really tripping anymore um and that was kind of that oh also at some point while I was crying on the floor I pissed myself yeah. So I woke up in a puddle and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I feel like that's the least of your concern at that point. It's <laughs> like, I got to clean this up. Oh, I got to fix my mental health. Yeah. So like, what do you feel like, like, what was your biggest takeaway that, that you had such like high, wonderful connection experience and then this abandonment experience? Like, what what was your biggest takeaway from that trip? Or do you really have an answer? I mean, that trip was a year and a half ago now. I feel like I still kind of revisit it from time to time mm-hmm. and kind of kind of learn some more things about it. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, though, and it's been further confirmed to me in recent months was that a lot of my mental health was stemming from emotional issues, from emotional attachments with people or lack thereof. Um, 
and just kind of how I felt so emotionally disconnected from people that it made the rest of my existence kind of suffer as a result. Like, why try to improve myself if I can't make connections with people? Like, this is it. Right. Um, So that was sort of the biggest takeaway was that I realized I, I really need to get back into therapy, but I need to focus on, like, trauma and focus in on kind of these reoccurring... Um, states that I find myself in because, you know, looking back over the last, about two months ago I was diagnosed with complex PTSD um, which differs from uh, regular PTSD in that it tends to be kind of an emotional like I guess when my triggers happen they're more of an emotional trigger than like a flashback to a certain event Mm-hmm. For instance, I don't really ever have flashbacks to that accident I was involved in. Okay. You know, I had the flashback on on acid, and that's kind of the only flashback I've ever had. Um, what I find is that I get more emotional flashbacks, where I will get caught in this sort of state of mind and being where... Um, It's almost like an emotional, I'm trying to find the words for it, an emotional flashback where I might be at work and have a very, you know, something might happen that triggers that emotional flashback and then all of a sudden I will feel small, helpless, almost childlike, like I'm in a bad situation and I can't do anything about it. I need somebody else to literally take care of this. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it can last for days, weeks, even months. Sometimes it could be caused by, you know, something that I need to take care of, that I'm struggling to take care of, that I've got some anxiety around or something like that. And then the longer I push it off, the heavier it gets in my mind. And the heavier it gets in my mind, the less I want to do it. So it just continues getting pushed off and growing into a bigger problem. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm still listening. I actually wanted to find an article that um, my sister had sent me recently about. Um, it's called "Emotional Flashback Management in the Treatment of Complex PTSD." Oh, send me that article. <laughs> I will. Um, honestly, because it hit me in like some really intense places. Um, but there's a part of it that. Because I'm learning that, um, you know, I, it's so complicated, really, because on one hand, like, I grew up with this mother who was unconditionally just wonderful and creative and wanted nothing more for people to feel seen, heard, and felt, you know, mm-hmm. very, very loving, the epitome of what every mother I feel like aspires to be like my mom is that person and still is to this day. Um, but on the, the other side of this coin, um, my father was, um, not quite as emotionally receptive, 
Um, I'm trying to say it in a nice way. <laughs> um, much more concerned about what you should be doing. You know, anything we did wrong was you're, you're putting a poor reflection on like what you do wrong is a reflection of this family uh-huh. and of me. And it was all really about this image and what we ought to be doing. And, you know, it's a very sensitive person in that fact. Um, and I've come to realize over time with therapy and one of my siblings who's also in therapy dealing with very similar themes, um, kind of bouncing back off of each other, these cur- like reoccurring themes of emotional trauma and um I don't think that I would be considered like or diagnosed with complex PTSD but it is still something that um you know I deal with and that reflects on to a lot of like my relationships even today you know like romantic friendship whatever relational whatever have you Um, So it's like this weird feeling of like being able to be very close with people because I was very close to my mom. I'm still very close with her. But also this weird feeling of like having a hard time like trusting people on a very like integral level. Like always like wondering at one point am I going to say something that's going to... um, compromise this mm-hmm. friendship or whatever relationship and it's like this this weird thing of like realizing that I was doing this but like not ever having the context to like understand it until recently you know yeah and so in this article um this guy his name is uh Pete Walker um oh I know that name because <laughs> I'm looking into a book that he wrote okay actually. Yeah, so he had this article, and uh, I'll read just, like, a quick excerpt from it. Um, It's from his article called Emotional Flashback Management and the Treatment of Complex PTSD. Now, this article is focused more towards, um, like, things for clinicians Mm -hmm. to use in their practice, but honestly, it's kind of helpful at the same time to, like, people who, like, deal with, like, trauma in this way. Um basically is talking about like uh is emotional neglect a primary cause of complex PTSD early on and working in this model I was surprised a number of clients with moderate and sometimes minimal sexual or physical childhood abuse were plagued by emotional flashbacks over time however I realized that these individuals had suffered extreme emotional neglect the kind of neglect where no caretaker was available for support comfort or protection And no one liked them, welcomed them, listened to them, and no one had empathy for them, showed them warmth, or invited closeness. No one cared about what they thought, felt, did, wanted, or dreamed of. Such trauma victims earned early in life that no matter how how hurt, alienated, or terrified they were, turning to a parent would actually exacerbate their experience of rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, you know, I know this is very off topic of like psychedelics and stuff like that, but 
I mean, just this, I think, you know, just this small idea of like, I can trust people, but not, not too much Mm -hmm. because, and even like, I think about this in trips sometimes too, where I like people that I like love and trust with my life. I'm also kind of at the same time questioning, you know, are they going to like leave me abandoned in somebody's front yard? Yeah. Because like emotionally I felt like, you know, I was. Would it hurt less if it was a backyard? Oh my God. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's very intense to, you know, uh, to say, but. You know, it's very real things, you know? Yeah, for me, one of my big things that I deal with as someone who kind of grew up in a church is that I still struggle with today. If I find myself having a good time and I'm enjoying myself, I'm feeling good, it will kind of trigger this emotional flashback where I start to feel like if I'm enjoying myself and having a good time, whatever I'm doing must be a sin. Mm-hmm. Like, this must be a terrible thing to be doing, and I shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I'll go to parties and have a great time, and then, like, half an hour to an hour into it, it's like, I shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. I don't belong. I need to go home and repent. Interesting. And I'll completely shut down and just either become that person, that weirdo standing in the corner all night, or I'll just leave. Irish goodbye and go home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not quite the same thing, but I I feel like it's one of those similar things where kind of growing up in a church has kind of affected the way that my brain developed when it comes to those sort of things. Sure. Um, Yeah, and I struggle to kind of break myself out of that mental habit. Of thinking that I'm having a good time, therefore I'm doing something bad. Mm. Interesting. Now, like, at what point do you feel like, like you're able to, like, go beyond that? Like, like... To be able to, like, enjoy these small things in your life without guilt. Usually, as dumb as this is going to sound, uh, usually what helps me is I have to have somebody with me that can just kind of constantly reassure me the whole night. Mm. Like, hey, you're doing fine. Everything's cool. Having a good time. You haven't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You haven't offended anybody. You're not sinning. Mm. You're enjoying yourself, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying ourselves. You know, I find myself like in a similar. I think I'm just. I have to tell myself these things, but like I find myself in a similar thought loop when I'm like way too fucking high, like incredibly ripped or like tripping, and I'm just like this weird feeling of panic waves over me and then I have to reassure myself like I'm allowed to get this high I'm allowed to feel like this and to feel like the good the bad the ugly like the the 
amazing connection that it is to be a part of something bigger. Like, I'm allowed to feel that. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Just, like, the thought that, like, you, you're, like, reassuring that about yourself? I don't think it's weird to reassure yourself. I think for me, it's, like, something I struggle to do because am I really the best judge of what's right and what's wrong? I mean, look at my life. You're doing great. No, you're doing great. I'm doing okay. Living in a a cool city. You're working. You're actively seeking mental health professionals. You have... Beautiful animals. I, that I didn't love necessarily you. say that I was looking for professionals. I mean, when I say I'm looking for mental health, it's just like I'm going to take all the drugs. You also have animals that don't love that. you and they see you. I don't think my spiders love me so much as they're just like, eh, keep tossing food in here. I'm sure they care about you. That oh, that was a question I wanted to ask. Is when you were helping your spider in in this extreme duress. Or, mm-hmm. uh, did you feel like, like, were you just more concerned about their well-being or did you feel like a connection? I was very concerned about their well-being, but when I did finally get them freed, they kind of just sat on the palm of my hand for a few seconds. Um, like normally I can brush their back legs and they'll go kind of sprinting forward. Sure. So I set my hand down at the bottom of their enclosure sort of next to where they had dug their tunnel so that you know expecting them to rush off into their tunnel they kind of sat there for a little bit and it took a little coaxing to get them off of my hand and I did feel like a bit of a twisted Disney princess in the moment (laughs) did she look in you in the eyes and you had a moment and everything or was it just they wanted to be near you I think they wanted I think they were feeling safe you know? Yeah, I like that. Have you had any other, like, semi-spiritual or, like, paranormal experiences while you're tripping? No, not while I was tripping. That's really the only one. That's kind of the only... Those two acid trips are kind of the only significant psychedelic experiences I've had. Mm-hmm. I've done mushrooms a few times, but I haven't really tripped on them. Mm-hmm. Um, highest dosage I've done is two grams and didn't really feel anything off of it. Right. Um, and I kind of have this feeling that like mushrooms are probably going to help me in the mental health aspect a bit more than acid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like if I'm going to get a proper trip out of it, I have to grow my own. Mm. Do you feel like it's it would be more like the significance is greater because it's more it's more directly plant energy or or what do you think the thing is just the purpose I think behind so. it i mean i i do believe that you know mushrooms have evolved alongside humans mm-hmm. throughout history so i do think there is sort of a interconnected relationship between um psychedelic mushrooms and kind of humans sure um i do look at them as a medicinal thing um they've definitely been used medicinally throughout human history um and 
you know, for me, I feel like the biggest takeaway to growing my own is going to be the amount of patience and care that's required to do it. Mm -hmm. I think for me, that's kind of going to be part of the healing experience, Mm. you know, because I do find myself at the age of 33, whenever I'm focused on my mental health and working on like getting into therapy and, you know, taking care of any meds that I need to be on, I always have this overwhelming feeling of, I need to fix everything now. Like, my life can't move forward until this Mm -hmm. is all fixed, but if it's supposed to take years to fix, like, I don't have that kind of time. Um, And so I think that might be part of the reason, you know, that I haven't really tripped on mushrooms is because I'm trying to, like, rush into that trip. And I think, in a way, the mushrooms kind of know that, and they're like, you're not ready. Mm. You're not ready. I see. I think that uh, something healing for me in in a similar manner is that uh, like I actually reached out to a Reiki practitioner to see if it was possibly something that I wanted to get into, not only to like um, get some Reiki healing done, but to actually become like attuned and mm-hmm. possibly be like some sort of Reiki practitioner within like the holistic world. And, um, I remember being on the phone with her and just sort of like asking some questions and, and just having like my brain going like a million miles a minute. And, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just, I feel like I'm trying to ask something and I, I feel like I know what I'm trying to ask, but like, I'm just really struggling for the, the words to get there. And she was just like, it's okay. Just take your time. And just sat there like that and just let the space be there. And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm actually not on anybody's schedule right now. I can take a moment and to breathe and to think about what I'm wanting to say in a very intentional mm-hmm. way. And and I felt like it wasn't just for that conversation. It's for my whole life lately. It's been so panicked to, you know, don't get behind. Don't be late. Don't you know, be on this very instantaneous culture that we're in, instant gratification. When I'm realizing that I'm not meant to be like that, I'm meant to be much more slower and intentional and just thinking about, you know, people think, oh, our lives have to be like a goldfish or like an ant, like just so quick and so like work, work, work. Mm -hmm. When really, you know it doesn't mean that's any less important than like a ginkgo tree like this tree that you know has been around for like ginkgo trees species are older than dinosaurs and there's even like i've talked about it before but uh there are at least like four or five maybe even six ginkgo trees in Japan that survived the atomic blast that are still alive today. Like, so if that teaches you anything about perseverance and patience, then I guess that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be patient with yourself and everything else, I guess. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Kind of one of the other effects that I had after this most recent acid trip was I reduced my screen time a lot after Mm -hmm. that trip. Right. Um, Because one of the realizations that I had was that 
you know, I was unemployed at the time of this trip, but prior to unemployment, I worked in the IT industry, mm -hmm. um, doing various IT engineering jobs. So I would spend all day going to work, sitting behind a computer, doing things on the computer. Mm -hmm. And then to come home and relax, if you'll want to call it that, mm -hmm. I would sit on my computer and play video games. And I realized that I was just in this cycle to the point that... One screen to another. Yeah. Once I hit unemployment, all I was doing was sitting behind my computer because it's like the only thing I knew how to do. Mm. It's the only thing that was like giving me this sense of comfort. Sure. It wasn't really comforting me, but it was just like... Familiarity. Yeah. Familiarity. Like, I feel safe here. Mm -hmm. Maybe not quite safe, but, you know... Stable. The devil you know versus the devil you don't type thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so coming out of that trip, I realized I spend way too much time behind the screens. Mm, yeah, I could say that. Yeah. Um, well, we do um, need to wrap up soon. So are there any other like lasting um, experiences that you want to touch on? Yeah, I guess one more thing is, um, you know... As I mentioned in that trip, I feel like I really did meet who the King James Bible refers to as God, mm. um, the goddess. Um, before this trip, I wouldn't really describe myself as a spiritual person. You know, I grew up in the church and I kind of left the church and kind of went the whole complete opposite of like, religion doesn't exist. God, like there's no higher power. Like we're here on our own. Mm -hmm. It's all hopeless. Um, you know, I've definitely become a more spiritual person. I definitely do believe that there are higher powers out there. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's a higher power that resides within us. Mm -hmm. um, and when I went online to a chat forum once and kind of anonymously posted my experience on my acid trip, especially revolving the part around... Um, you know, watching porn and meeting what I felt was God. Um, and somebody reached out to me and they were like, hey, are you familiar with John Marco Allegro? Mm. And I said, no, I have no clue who that is. <laughs> so I had to look this person up. And so I'll give you the quick synopsis. John Marco Allegro was a Oxford theologian, um, one of the primary people on the team that interpreted the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm -hmm. Um, and in 1970, they published a book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. I actually have it right behind you. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's going to go disappearing in about 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, in this book, um, John Marco Allegro basically has the theory that, you know, Jesus Christ, as written about in the Bible, was not a man, but rather... A mushroom. Mm. Um, in particular, he identifies it as the Amanita muscaria mushroom, right. which is uh, the very famous sort of white and red caps. I mean, there's multiple Amanita species, but the more famous one that everyone can usually identify is the red and white mushroom caps. Um, they are toxic, so in high enough quantities, they can actually kill you. But they can be prepared in a way to uh, get a psychedelic experience from them. 
Um, and so, you know, when the Bible talks about how good your relationship is with Jesus, how good your personal walk, how well you know him and all that, um, the theory is that's more about like, can you identify this particular mushroom as being the right mushroom? Can you prepare it correctly? Can you dose it correctly? You know, if you were an early, say, pastor or shaman, you know, spiritual leader or healer, you know, you might be administering this, this mushroom, you know, this spirit, however they viewed it, to, you know, somebody else. So you need to have a good working knowledge back in a time when, you know, the internet and even a lot of written um, knowledge wasn't readily available to people. You know, mm -hmm. how well do you know it? How well can you prepare it and deliver it to the people you're in charge of? Sure. Um, and so I, I find it kind of significant that I was never even aware of this whole uh, theory before taking psychedelics um, because your psychedelic experiences are kind of affected by what you know about psychedelics. Hmm. You know, unfortunately, almost nobody in the world will go into a psychedelic experience completely blind and uninfluenced by the world around them because they'll have read something about it somewhere. You know, they'll think, oh, I take acid and I'm going to see trippy visuals. True. And so, you know, their brain's going to be kind of focused and in tuned onto that. Mm. So I do find it a little bit kind of interesting that that was the experience, that I had this religious experience, or what I view as a religious experience on acid. And then at, only afterwards did someone go, are you familiar with John Marco Allegro? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I kind of, I, I agree with John Marco Allegro mm -hmm. here. Yeah. I, I think that in ancient times, you know, as the Romans were taking over, um, Israel and that sort of area of the Middle East, mm -hmm. that, you know, they were very much about kind of bringing cultures into their own and getting them to worship their own pantheon and all that. And so kind of everything went underground. Um, I think this is another theory, theory that uh, Allegra talks about, is that kind of a lot of these stories about, you know, if a Roman soldier asks you to walk a mile, you walk with them too, things like that, were kind of to make this cult of Christianity, if you will, this sort of underground religion, more less likely to just get sought out and destroyed. Mm. as it would be seen as, like, a pro-Roman thing and not anti-Roman. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with the rest of that, but... That's okay. I'm not an expert on John Marco Allegro. The book is very, very dense. It is very heady. <laughs> um, I can mainly... I can only read, like, a couple paragraphs at a time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. That was a very interesting takeaway from that trip. I like that. Do you, uh, do you have any lasting questions for me before we close? I don't think so. No? Considering, like, we talk pretty often. If I do, I'll ask you later. Sure. <laughs> I guess for the podcast sake, but yeah, that works. Uh, let's see, for the podcast. Uh, no? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, good. Well, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. We've been talking about this for what the last year probably yeah we've been talking about it for a while and yeah, a long time now it's out there for the whole internet to 
hear my weird and wacky story of... I don't feel like this is that weird and wacky. I feel like it's pretty accessible for the audience. Yeah. I would say so. Well, if anybody wants to go meet God, I am a pastor's <laughs> cut. I'm a pastor's kid and I can take you to meet them. <laughs> Let's go. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Scarlett. Thanks for having me. All right.